This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on ankylosing spondylitis. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. The prevalence of ankylosing spondylitis ranges from 9 to 30 people per 10,000 in the general population. It commonly presents in the second or third decade of life, and men are more frequently affected than women. However, there can be a delay in diagnosis, which can lead to worse clinical outcomes. So it's important that we get diagnosis and management right from the outset. To give us more details about this problem and what we can do about it, we have on the line Marku Kaupi, Professor of Rheumatology at Helsinki University in Finland. So, Marku, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking, what exactly is this disease? Well, ankylosing spondylitis is a chronic inflammatory rheumatic disease which involves mostly the lower back, but it may spread to the other areas of the back and also it may cause extra spinal manifestations like arthritis and uveitis. And, and the uh, typical symptoms are long-lasting stiffness and back pain. Um, it usually uh, is burst in the morning, but uh, will uh, get uh, lighter and easier uh, when you start. the patient starts exercising. And, and uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs may also uh, relieve the symptoms. And so is it predominantly a clinical diagnosis? Well, uh, you have to start uh, in, in uh, your clinic uh, to get the idea that this patient might have uh, inflammation in the lower back. And then uh, you have to ask the patient history very carefully and, and uh, by the anamnesis, you will uh, get the idea whether that diagnosis is possible. And, and then you need some uh, other tests too, not just the clinical. Uh, clinical tests are not enough. And can you tell me what are the investigations that you would need to do? Well, um, as a GP, you should uh, start by basic laboratory tests. You should take a CRP and erythrocyte sedimentation rate to see if there is systemic inflammation. And, and then uh, basic laboratory tests like uh, hemoglobin and, and creatinine are also useful because uh, uh, the patients will probably need uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And in that case, you have to know if the kidneys are okay. Thank you. And what about radiology investigations? What would you request or, or what will the patient need? Well, if, if you have a strong suspicious, uh, suspicion of ankylosing spondylitis or actually um, axial uh, spondyloarthropathy or arthritis, um, you should think of magnetic uh, scanning of the lower back because the best way to uh, be sure of the diagnosis is that the patient has typical 
history of the symptoms and then you can see that there is uh, chronic inflammation in, in the sacroiliacal joints uh, which is uh, best seen by magnetic scanning. And are there any blood tests that are specific for the disease? No, no, there are no specific laboratory tests. You have to remember that uh, these patients do not have a rheumatic factor or they don't have ACPA, so that these, these are associated only and caused only by rheumatoid arthritis and perhaps uh, uh, Sjögren syndrome. But um, so if you, are, uh, you have a patient who has uh, low back problems, uh, there is no use to take those tests. But HALA-B27 is a test which might give uh, help to the diagnose because uh, it's quite rare that uh, patients without HALA-B27 tissue type would have a chronic inflammation in the back. So it doesn't exclude uh, the diagnose but uh, helps when you are thinking about the diagnosis. Thank you. And can you tell me, what is the difference between axial spondyloarthropathy and ankylosing spondylitis? Well, um, the diagnosis of ankylosing spondylitis insists that there are some kind of permanent uh, structural damage in the sacroiliacal joints and uh, that takes time so that it has been shown that uh, uh, there is a long delay from the onset of the symptoms to the diagnosis of ankylosing spondylitis uh, and uh, that's uh, something which uh, we would like to avoid and, and uh, we would like to make the diagnosis before uh, there are structural permanent damage in the back and so uh, nowadays, we can take the magnetic uh, scanning and, and see that there is inflammation. However, there are no permanent changes. And so, um, in such a situation, you can be sure that there is inflammation. That is an inflammatory disease, but uh, it's not uh, full ankylosing spondylitis. And in that case, uh, we have started to uh, use the diagnose non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis or only axial spondyloarthritis. Can you tell me, what are the common pitfalls in diagnosing this disease? Well, um, quite many patients are young adults and, and quite often men and uh, perhaps men are not so eager to visit a doctor. So there may be a delay in the in the diagnosis also because of the uh, patient and and of course uh, in gp's uh, clinic there are a lot of patients with uh, back problems and most of those don't have inflammation in the back and uh, so perhaps the gp don't always think about the inflammation but uh, if there is a young guy who can't sleep a long time uh, in holidays because he has to uh, wake up and start exercising low back, so that sounds 
uh, abnormal and uh, it, it might be because of chronic inflammation in the back. Thank you very much. That's, that's very helpful. Let's move on to management. Can you tell us what is the mainstay of management? The inflammation in the back uh, causes um, stiffness and it may lead to ankylosis in the back. And so uh, the patients should uh, actively uh, try to prevent the ankylosis and the permanent stiffness in the back. And so uh, exercise uh, of the back is very important. And, and uh, so the patients should be informed how important it is to exercise the back. But sometimes uh, the exercise is not enough or it is not possible because of the symptoms. And in such case, uh, the patients would pre uh, benefit of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And so uh, those should be also given to the patients. And uh, if the morning stiffness is very bad, so that the patient can't sleep uh, long, however he or she would like to sleep longer, so uh, one good uh, treatment is to start long-acting uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, taken, uh, which should be taken late in the evening, so that it is working also on the morning and and that might help the patient. So uh, those uh, uh, treatments can be given uh, in the GP's office. Uh, and of course, if there is a possibility to uh, ask a physiotherapist or and perhaps a nurse to give further information, those would be good. Uh, but if uh, exercise and non-steroidals are not enough, so uh, rheumatologists have a have several very good drugs to uh, uh, ease the or slow down the inflammation, so that uh, if if the inflammation will be away, in that case it will help to the symptoms and it will also prevent that there will not develop any permanent changes. Okay, thank you. Tell us about those other drugs that a rheumatologist may need to use? Well, they are mostly biological drugs, so that uh, we have had um, more than 20 years some, some biological drugs like uh, DNF blockers, and uh, during last years we have got more uh, uh, biologicals uh, which will also help the uh, patients with inflammation in the back. And the most recent drugs for these uh, indications occasion are, are the JAK inhibitors, which are tablets. Not uh, the biologicals are always given intra uh, subcutaneously or intravenously, but but uh, the JAK inhibitors are uh, can be used by in, uh, as tablets. And are these new treatments usually well tolerated? Yes, they are well tolerated and, and they usually are effective so that um, they, they are really a good possibility for patients who don't get enough help from, from exercise and non-steroidals. But, but they are rather expensive and, and of course uh, 
they increase a little bit the risk of infections and and of course all drugs may have some uh, side effects and and so um, you give, go in the treatment you go step by step so that you start by the non-steroidals and and exercise and then the next step is uh, the disease modifying anti-rheumatic drugs which are mostly uh, biologicals or jack inhibitors okay thank you um can you tell me are there any pitfalls in management well uh, of course there are also pitfalls one one pitfall is uh, that uh, the, the patient may have several types of pain so that all the back pain is not uh, caused by the inflammation and if, if it is partly caused by some other reasons so you can't uh, treat the patient by increasing the effectivity and aggressively the activity of the non uh, disease modifying drugs you you have to find other uh, treatments to those pains which are not caused by inflammation and that that is one pitfall that uh, it's it sometimes is difficult to um, be sure if if the pain is caused by inflammation or some other reasons um, then um, sometimes these patients have fatigue uh, which may be very difficult and and usually that fatigue is is not uh, uh, can't be helped by uh, the biologicals or by the uh, uh, by treating the inflammation more and more strongly so uh, fatigue is sometimes back a big problem and of course one big problem may be uh, that the patient can't be motivated to exercise the back. It is it is very important to motivate the patient for the to the self treatment. Okay, thank you very much indeed, uh, Marku, and thanks to you all for listening. Thank you very much. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign in to BMJ Best Practice and have a look at the content on this and other diseases. Thank you once again.